Good evening. Good morning to some of you. So, today, we're going to speak about my sheep hear my voice. That's the theme for the whole day, so also for this evening. My sheep hear my voice. So, we're going to John 10, from verse 1 to 17. If you want to read with you, welcome. It's also going to appear on the screen. 1 to 17, and then 27 till 30, 30. There we go. Jesus tells us, that he is the good shepherd, and we are his sheep. And his sheep know his voice. Um, so my question for tonight, before I read the, the scripture, is, you know, what is Jesus' voice? Because this question, I just bounce back to you because it's asked to me many times. How can I hear God's voice? How can I discern the different voices in my life? So John 10, verse 1, Jesus says to us, so here it is. This is, amongst other things, his voice. He speaks to us through his word. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And this happens regularly in the Bible and amongst us. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He's just rephrasing the paragraph. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. We've heard this before. But the sheep did not listen to them. And again he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So he deepens the revelation. And will go in and out and find pasture. Now he gives more of the blessing of what happens when you go through him. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So he starts to unpack. Then he goes on. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And then Jesus repeats himself again, which is a tautology, because when you repeat, it is actually again. I am the good shepherd. We've heard this before. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So now he starts to really give you the revelation of how this whole thing works. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fault. So now he builds upon the revelation of other sheep. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd... For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. We've heard this before at the beginning of the chapter. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So he's summing up the whole chapter. 
Okay, I hope you get the picture. It's not often that Jesus repeats things so many times in such a short time span. And believe me, he was not a kind of person that had a short memory uh, problem. It's just because probably he was reading the body language of the, of the disciples as in like, <laughs> or more like a, I don't know, Mr. Bean kind of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I practiced. No, it, comes, it actually comes natural to me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's, he looked at them as he was teaching all the time, like we should. And then you read the body language and you go like, okay, let me rephrase this. But don't talk to me after the sermon that the sermon was too long because your body language gave me a reason to again, I truly, truly tell you. Jesus does this a lot. And that's why, you know, we have to be like him. We, when we share the gospel with one another, um, when we unpack revelations, there is a revelation upon a revelation upon a revelation. And you know what? At the end of the day, at every chapter, with everything we share, we should add up using the name of the Father in the last couple of sentences. Because eventually, that's what this is all about. It's never Jesus on his own. He's representing the Father on earth. And so are you and so are we together. So Father, before we unpack this word and before we challenge what Jesus has said in, in your word, and we challenge one another with this, and I challenge myself with this, I want to ask you, Lord, to just give me the right words and the right tone of voice and the right intonation and the, and the right melody and the right rhythm of speech for only one reason, so that the revelation that you want to come across into my brothers and sisters' hearts and even into my own heart as I speak, Father, that that it will accomplish what you want to accomplish tonight, Father God. That nothing will f fall into hot rocks or unfertile soil or acidic soil. But let us have some azaleas in the spirit here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. How was that? I connected the weird announcements with my... Uh, <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Holy Spirit. So here's the context of John 10. He says in, in verse 14, I am the good shepherd... And I know my own, and my own know me. Okay? So you need to, need to let that sink in. Because if you don't understand the fundamental truth and the fundamental context of the scriptures, all the other stuff will just go astray in your brain. And then he says in verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And in verse 16 he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fault. So I think it means that's the Jewish fault other than the Jewish fault. He has other sheep that he wants to bring in, and that's why he said, but that's why there is one shepherd and there's only there's one flock that I'm shepherding. So it's, he's got a heart for all people. And so they will also hear my voice. And this means that who, whoever he's talking about are the elect ones, the chosen ones. And those are all the people here tonight that are sitting in front of me. You are chosen by God. You're handpicked by God. And so, can I encourage you to stop striving hearing God's voice and start being the elect one. Start behaving like the one that is truly chosen by God, the beloved daughter, the beloved son of God, in whom he is well pleased. Not because of what you do and the stuff we do and the messes we make at times, but just because who you are in Christ Jesus. And if you're not in Christ Jesus, come and talk to me after the service. We'll pray for you will lead you to the Lord so that you might be in Christ Jesus and you might find that peace 
and stop being restless about, you know, what's the next step in my life? And I need to hear God's voice. I need to hear God. Of course we need to hear God's voice. But first, it starts with knowing that you are owned by him. He's the owner of the flock. And this flock consists out of a bunch of weird people. I'll tell you what. I mean, look around. Um, people that you would never voluntarily choose to sit next to in daily life. They all of a sudden sit next to you in church. People I would never choose to play music with in a band. All of a sudden, like Udo. No, I'm kidding, Udo. Like, you know, all of a sudden I find them with me on a stage. And it's only because of Jesus. It can only work because of Jesus. Church can only work because of Jesus. Not because of our programs or how smart we think we are or our activities or our programs. It can only work when we truly worship Jesus. And um, in other words, so the Father has chosen you, which means you will hear his voice if you follow him, if you follow the commandments, if you follow the instructions, if you know what these instructions are, of course. So here's another example of um, how God is protecting certain people to not hear his voice. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, it says... The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, blindness keeps us from seeing the glory. And in the same way that deafness keeps us from hearing the glory or hearing the voice of the glorious one. So, this voice becomes an alien voice if you're not chosen if you haven't said yes to Jesus Christ yet. This is a voice that we are not interested in. It's actually a boring voice. So that's why people around you might not walk in that light that we are and that we walk in and don't follow the straight and narrow path. That's why increasingly in the culture we live in, there is this new kind of hostility against Christianity. It's super exciting. It's all been prophesied in the Bible. We are living in those kinds of times. Just just tell yourself it's exciting. It's, it's a good thing. But it's not a good thing if you and I don't know who we truly are, what kind of a sheep we are, and, what, and how we label ourselves. And if we don't behave like we know where we are seated in the heavenly places, and, and therefore, and if we don't know that what the scriptures say about us, God says a lot about us in his word, and we need to deeply get that into our hearts and into our minds. Otherwise, we will not be transformed. So the unbelievers will be kept away from this story, which is great. So that's why Revelations, I guess, speaks about you know, that God doesn't really like lukewarm, lukewarmness. It's hot or cold. So if you encounter cold people in the workplace, in, the play, in your college, in your school, in your work environment, um, that's exciting. God puts them Not in your way, but on your path. There's a difference. (laughs) I just made it up. You can write it down. (laughs) It's not in my notes. Stuff happens when you preach. Usually my notes are boring. And when the Holy Spirit starts speaking, it's like, okay, I need to write this down. It's great. So, and then what happens in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 4, the same chapter, then God gives the revelation to us. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, that God has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that kind of sums up 
the authority we have. If we keep presenting ourselves in the face of Jesus Christ, if we get close to the face of Jesus Christ, if when we worship him in spirit and truth and get close to Jesus, we activate by the Holy Spirit that knowledge of the glory of God. I see some of you are excited about that. That's, that's, that's quite good. That's why we need to pray for the opening of our hearts, for the eyes and the understanding of our hearts. Um, in the Greek, this scripture in the New Testament, the word heart there in the Greek is interchangeable with the word mind. It has to do with understanding, so that we will see and it will hear in the Spirit. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And that produces what? Faith, because faith comes by hearing. If you hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, it's an empowering thing. It's an exciting thing. Then you, you, know, you, you won't think twice or three times to either if the Spirit is speaking, you bring an azalea, or if the Spirit is speaking, you, is speaking, you go and join the choir, although you might think you're not a singer of any notes, but that's okay. We won't give you a microphone. You just sing in the choir. And if the Spirit is speaking, you know, if the Spirit is speaking, my question is to you today, is the Spirit speaking? Do you have that relationship with the Holy Spirit? Because faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And that means, faith in God means believing in and trusting in the greatest hope. That God became man, lived in a perfect life, died a sacrificial death for your sins, and rose again to glory so that you could have eternal life by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. That's faith. That's your belief system. Anybody here? Is that your confession? Can you say yes to that? Do you believe in the resurrected power of Jesus Christ? That God sent His only begotten Son? And the consequences of that is the direct consequences that you become a sheep of whatever fault. From that moment, God doesn't care where you come from. Jew, Gentile, what your sins were in the past, what you've done. You can come into that fault and become one of the sheep of many, and you become equal in God's sight because that cross of Jesus stands in the middle of where the sheep are grazing. And so this is the way that the writer of the Hebrew, Hebrew talks about faith, faith in God. So it's, faith is knowing, and the Hebrew word there is actually yada, and yada means interactive relationship. So as we interact with God, as you act, activate spiritual disciplines, as you worship, as you fast, as you pray, as you praise, as you the act of silence, the discipline of silence. If you have, you know, your Bible, your study, your uh, community is part of a spiritual uh, discipline. To actively be engaged in community with, with the saints, with other brothers and sisters. As you interact in relationship with God and all these things, do all these things that the Bible tells us that we should be engaging in, then you start hearing His voice increasingly and in more detail. And it's not a, it's not a difficult thing. And it's the only option, because without faith, it's impossible to please Him, the Bible says. Oops. So you have to be strong in your faith, and what do you actually believe? And make it simple. Keep it simple. Don't go into some new complexity theology. Do you believe that God is, Jesus is the Son of God, He died for your sins, and He resurrected on the third day? Fundamental truths. So, 
anyone, after that scripture, a lot of uh, people forget about that in Hebrews 11, verse 6, that it is impossible to please God without faith. But the second half of that verse 6 tells us, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly, earnestly seek him. So there's another clue for faith, and there's another clue for hearing his voice. Earnestly seek him. That's why this church has seeking evenings on Wednesday evening. If you find it difficult to do that in your own time and in your own calendar and make time, then come to a Wednesday evening seeking meeting and just earnestly seek him and let him build on your faith and let him give you a new measure of faith. But act, take a step of action in the right direction. It can be maybe in your life group that you, that, you do, that you do a seeking actions, intentional seeking actions in your life group or on campus if there's a campus ministry or get some brothers and sisters together or who, whoever is walking with you in faith and in accountability. So the problem is that when it comes to, when it comes to hearing God, God, is not a, God doesn't work in formulas. He's super creative. So those who are following Christ are also supposed to display insane supernatural creativity because he's a creator and we are made after his own image. So he's not a magic genie or, uh, or some kind of instructor or even dictator. He, he won't speak to us like that. There's no evidence in the Bible he's never done that. He's full of nuances, personality, um, and secrets revealed only to earnest seekers. That's what J Jeremiah 33 says to us. You earnestly seek him secrets will be revealed. Or like in, John, in, in Revelation 4, where John was caught up into the heavenlies and, and he, was, he, was, he was shown, behold, great and mighty things. God promised him to show him great and mighty things. If John would just let go of who he thought he was and his fears and his anxieties and his question marks and his doubts and allow himself to be caught up into the heavenlies and have a little peek, wouldn't you like that? It's totally possible if you can, if you have the desire. You can be caught up into the heavenlies and you can soar and you can see in the throne room. You can ask the Lord, what is written on my scroll when you're in that throne room, in that place where your spirit is seated already? But my question is, does your soul truly believe that? Or are you first, or do you think you first need to get on a certain intellectual level of theology before you can explain to yourself how that stuff works? Just write me an email if you know how it works. <laughs> I don't care how it works. It's just the truth, and it's in my Bible. And John is nobody special. John can go to heaven and, and see what's going on. And Lord, I want to hear the sounds of heaven. I want to hear your voice. I want to I earnestly seek you. I want to push in. I want to chase you. I want to chase your instructions. I wanna, I'm not just happy with the letter of the Bible. I also want the spirit. I want the Logos, I want the Rhema, I want it all. I want it all. Freddie Mercury, I think. At least he was right with that sentence. I do want it all when it comes to God and the heavenlies. Because it's exciting. <laughs> I don't have to have hair, but I want more of God. I don't want more hair. And some secrets of God we will never know. It's sealed until the ends of time. This is prophesied in Daniel. Daniel 2.22. So God also chooses to disclose his secrets to his people. But it can't harm to ask. I ask a lot. I, I seek a lot. I push in. And I've been surprised how much God has given me. Of how much revelation and 
But I mean, he's not Santa Claus. He's not going to give it to those who are not pushing in and not seeking. If you don't have that hunger, if you don't have that thirst, so it's our job to stir it up in one another. I can't stir up myself. Well, I can, like David speaking to his own soul. But usually I end up praising the Lord, but it's, it's different than when other... When I'm in. Have, you, have you been with other brothers and sisters that kind of... When you rub shoulders with the right people in the kingdom, you just all of a sudden get it? Get some kind of... I don't know, some people it's like rubbing off of anointing or they use big charismatic words or whatever. I, I don't know what that all means sometimes, I must be honest with you. But, um, but what I do know is I, if I hang out with the right crowd, I, I, I read my Bible more, I sing more songs, I become very courageous. I, I mean, I used to be a very shy guy before I got into the ministry. I would never speak in public, not a, wouldn't even play a, a loud instrument like drums. Ooh. Rather just do Mozart or Bach, <laughs> Beethoven on a good day, and then it stopped. <laughs> And then I meet Jesus and I go nuts in a drum kit and I speak in public and all kinds of stuff happens in my life. And because I hang out with the right crowd, I, I, hang, I, I choose my people wisely around me. I choose my community wisely. I'm not going to hang out with Christians that, that complain more than that they praise God. I'm just, you know, I'll, I will pray for them, but then I run away and go to other people that can, you know. You need to, hang, you need to find yourself some people that... You know, maybe you have been in the throne room or heard the voice of God in a different creative way, totally differently than you've ever heard it. That, that, that helps a lot. Anyway, that's just for free. So it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. He is in charge of concealing the secrets. But the glory of kings is to search out a matter. That's Proverbs 25.2. So we are royal priesthood. We are priests and priestesses, if that's a word. And we need to seek it out. We need to seek out this glory. That's our matter. That matters to us. And it matters to God that we, that we matter and that, we, that the matter of the crux of the matter is that we seek out the real matter before we ask what's the matter. <laughs> Proverbs 25 just told us what the matter is what what the matter is wrong with you is if you don't seek out a matter we are we we are we have been given the authority and the power in Christ Jesus to seek all these things out we are royal people in God's eyes I'm not royal in many people around me um, but in God's eyes when I go to God I feel pretty royal and um, I want to encourage you to Start behaving like somebody like that when you're in his presence. Don't be flippant. And don't buy into this post-enlightenment rhetoric that if you cannot make sense of God or disagree with a, with a verse in his word, he mustn't exist. Don't fall into that rhetoric trap. If you don't know what rhetoric is, Google it when you get home. Don't fall into it. Don't fall into post-enlightenment rhetoric and new age theologies that say like, you know, I'm seeking it out, but it doesn't make sense. Of course it doesn't make sense. You are God in your, own, in your own eyes when you think it has to make sense. He is God and you're not. It doesn't have to make sense. Do you honestly think you can understand God fully? Good luck with that one. Because God's ways are always higher than ours. Matthew 7, 7. That's why I can say these things. It is our privilege to ask, seek and knock. 
It's not out of criticism or out of like, oh, I'm going, Lord, I'm, uh, I don't agree. I don't agree. The, the Bible is full of contradictions. Well, obviously, you still have a lot to learn. Obviously, there's a lack of revelation in your life. Eventually, I'm telling you, when we get to heaven, the Bible will make perfect sense. I don't think on earth we will, we, because God wants us to keep on seeking, it's very intelligently put together, this book we call the Bible. <laughs> so this whole thing we hear at the moment, this post-enlightenment, post-modernistic view of a lot of people in the ministry even, that say today, like, you know, there's so many contradictions in the Bible, obviously, blah, 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 blah. They don't get it. They don't get these scriptures that I'm just quoting to you in my sermon here tonight. They don't, they don't get that this is, this is an intention of God to make, us keep on, uh, to make us into earnest seekers. It's the exact opposite. God doesn't make sense a lot of times. Neither, neither does it make sense when, you know, when the Holy Spirit speaks to me a lot of times. Most of the decisions, are, the big radical decisions I've taken with my wife together in obedience to the Holy Spirit in our lives did not make sense at the time. And only 15 years later or 19 years later. Only now, I'm still a young adult. I just look old. <laughs> I came to the Lord 19 years ago, which makes me a, a young adult Christian. I'm a 19-year-old Christian. So there you have it. That's why I can stand here in this evening service. Not by birth certificate, but by rebirth certificate. So you need to search within and search with him. Search within and search with him, both and. As Pastor Louis often puts it, like the up and the in before we do the out. And too many Christians at the moment, even very famous ones, and I will get to that just now. They just go, okay, I search with him. And then I find too many contradictions, and I just make a conclusion based on my intellect and based on who I am and what I know and my mind. And I decide this is too confusing. It, mustn't, it can't be true. And it, there, there is a tendency to do that in, because the world and even our educational systems are wired like that. That's why sociologists and theolo theologians nowadays, they call it post-enlightenment. Because the age of enlightenment... Had the same, brought about the same faith crisis in the 18th century as it is busy doing now in the 21st century. That's just for the academics amongst us. Um, you can just let that one slide if you want to research that. Because it, but it's interesting to know these things. So that when science stands up against the word of God and when the, when the, when the, the, the new wirings of the culture we live in in South Africa becomes increasingly a secularized society, Instead of the Christians challenging and the Christians in an apologetic way, um, you know, searching with him and searching within and challenging the culture, knowing that the Christian doctrine is counterculture. Make no mistake, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was counterculture. You know, speaking to a Samaritan, a woman at the well, alone in Samaria, where he shouldn't have been as a Jewish man in the first place, and meeting a woman alone all like completely counterculture. And nothing has changed ever since. Why? Because we're following this Jesus. It just gets worse. And for us, that's a good thing. Because, you know, we're getting, every day we live on earth, we're getting closer to Jesus coming back. I don't know when he's coming back, and I refuse to put a date to it. 
But every, I do know that every day I live on earth is a day closer to Jesus coming back. So I feel an urgency. And if it happens in my lifetime, well, great. If it doesn't, great. I will see him either way. And so do you. But it needs to, this urge, we need to have an urgency because we, we do live in a, in a world where, where generally we, we're drifting apart, the believers and the unbelievers. And we cannot have Christians who, who go to the other camp to kind of, you know, side with the unbelievers because all of us have a, have a portion of unbelief in our belief system. There, is, there are things that we believe, but are things that we also have severe question marks. And that doubt is healthy because God uses that doubt in order for us to go on our knees and seek him and search it and have life groups and have choirs and do worship things and, do, and equip yourself and come to, uh, go to Bible schools and to whatever we have to do to get more revelation and more knowledge of him. Not of the world. I don't want to understand the world we live in. I'm there to change the understanding of others of heaven, so that the earth can change. And that's God's job. That's heavenly business. I'm not there to change anybody, neither am I here, to change the world. Jesus has changed the world. My job is to remind everybody that he did. Otherwise, it's blind faith. And blind faith is very dangerous. In or against God, is, a, is what it is, is actually avoiding this quest, avoiding the quest for truth. Your faith must never be blind, because where proof is unavailable, sincere faith must weigh evidence for and against. Where, truth, where proof is unavailable, sincere faith must weigh evidence for and against. And we find this evidence in the Word. All the truths of God are locked up in the Word. And I believe healthy skepticism of what we, what we believe is healthy. It's, it points us to God. As long as we submit to the Holy Spirit and invite Him to renew our minds. You shouldn't fear because you've got nothing to lose. I'm going to assume everybody here is going to spend eternity with me. So, you've got nothing to lose. So we can, we can be bold in these matters, because it matters. So with God, you, this journey of doubt will actually fuel your faith. Doubt is just a prelude for joy. If you wouldn't doubt anything, you wouldn't conquer anything either. You wouldn't have to think about anything. You would be a mediocre human being, let alone Christian. You would just have your dreamy, dreamy little... Um, post-enlightenment experience in the 21st century with some technological revolu uh, you know, revolutions and some revelations and you would just you know, float around um, and that's okay in a sense but there are eternal consequences and we spent eternity together um, but there are consequences by, uh, to, to, the, to the things we do and we don't do and so um, you know, if you look at great apologists of Christian faith, like Ravi Zacharias or Strobel, Geisler, Yancey, Greg, uh, people like that, Chesterton, who gave their lives in this quest, or in defense of the truth, it, all it did is reveals their hungry and seeking hearts and, they, and the doubts that they went through. All they did was just embracing their doubt and wanting to seek out truth in Christ Jesus. And there's no reason why these people would be apologists and 
would be feeders to the hungry in the body of Christ, and, 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 and you just stay hungry slash ignorant. There's no reason why you should not join the ranks of people like that. The question is, how hungry and thirsty are you willing to be? So I challenge you tonight a lot, but also by saying, I'm often myself a, a reluctant Christian. I'm not cynical of it, but I am skeptical of certain things, and I search and it's the reason that, de- that deepens my worship. So I'm a reluctant Christian, but in my great, wide, and often painful search, I still know no better way of life. <laughs> I haven't found a better way of life. I lived a life without Christ, and then I turned 30, um, and I found Christ. Well, actually, Christ found me. And I have searched a better way of life. I, because... You know, I want to test all things God says in His Word. You can test me on on these things, and I did. But it's a and it's a painful search at times, and there's doubt involved. And but I've always seen God with God. He always, I always come out with a greater measure of faith, and I always come out with a better tuning device in my spiritual ears of picking up the frequency of heaven. Every every time I go through these things, and that's why I dare to post this. This sentence to you that doubt is a prelude to joy. You want more joy in your life? You must learn how to deal with doubt in your life. Don't rule it out because you can't. You're a human being. Jesus sweated blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had doubt. So if Jesus can have doubt and God didn't rebuke him for it, then I guess we're, we're in good company. Okay, I want to I wanna take five, six minutes just for real talk. Because I said earlier in my, in my talk that you know, I've, been, I've, been, I've been hearing some really concerned, concerning chatter um, you know, on Instagram and Facebook the last two, three weeks. There are some famous Christian authors that have fallen out of faith, that sold millions of books. There's a very famous worship leader who's sung, who's sung and composed for a world-famous ministry for about 20 years, the most amazing songs for the body of Christ. And sold millions of albums and led millions to the Lord through that ministry as well. And he has fallen out of faith. He has gone astray. And publicly and on social media, I have been sowing a lot of doubt into the hearts of young people all over the world. And this has happened in the time span of the last two, three weeks. And so there seems to be a, a desperate attempt by the enemy to, um, to sow more doubt. And that's why I felt to share this word tonight in the light of, this is a great blocker of you hearing from God. If you don't know what the Bible says about hearing from God and how these things work, then you might, you, your mind wa- might wander in the wrong direction. And it happens even with mighty men and women of God at the moment. It, there's this wave of people that just say, you know what, this is not for me. And so I want to read to you without calling out names, because the Bible is also full with a few people that actually went strange. Um, um, so this is not a new thing. It's just that there are waves of these things, and we need to take cognizance of it because we need to know how to respond to it, how to pray for them, but also how to pray for one another that we would not let our mind um, you know, make up some kind of convenient truth that fits our lifestyle instead of allowing the truth to fit our lifestyle of worship. So one of the quotes of of one of the worship leaders I read the last couple of weeks on Instagram was, I'm genuinely losing my faith, 
and it doesn't bother me. So the first part, I'm genuinely losing my faith, that can be a cry for help. I can deal with that. Let's pray, let's walk together, let's disciple one another, let's, let's talk, let's have coffee. But it doesn't bother me. It sh you should be bothered, obviously, particularly if you're on that level in the ministry and you're touching the lives of millions and people follow you on Instagram by the millions. Because we are not of this world and so we should be concerned with kingdom building. We shouldn't be concerned with the things of this world. That's not our responsibility. That's heavenly business. I'm concerned with what God is saying, and all I do is I listen to what God says, and I say what God is saying, like Jesus in John chapter 12. And I see what God is doing, and so I imitate what God is doing. We are ambassadors of Christ. We're imitators. So we should be bothered with losing faith, or if we see somebody lose faith. So these are interesting quotes. Um, he says also, I'm so happy now. I'm so at peace with the world. That's crazy. I'm not at peace with the world at all. I'm at peace with myself in Christ Jesus. The minute you are at peace with the world, you have blended in. You, you're not sticking out. I, I'm not at peace with this world. I'm at peace with where I'm seated in the heavenly places. That's where my peace comes from. It doesn't come from my circumstances here on earth. That's That's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You should be at peace with your relationship with God and in Christ Jesus because his name is the Prince of Peace. At peace with the world, when you're in that place in your life, you need help. If there's anybody here tonight, you must come forward after the service. We would like to pray for you if you feel totally at peace with the world. If you look around and think, oh, this is fantastic what happens around me. It's crazy. It's crazy to think that somebody can backslide into this darkness. And we need to pray for people like this, because they are influencers. Then he also says, unfollow me if you want, because I have never been about living my, uh, my life for others. I have never been about living my life for others. Well, the Bible says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. John 15, 13. And this is somebody who knows the Bible inside out. So you can become deaf to the Word of God. When you become blind to the Word of God, you become deaf to the Word of God. It's just a matter of time. All I know, he says, is what's true to me right now. So right now, there is a certain truth that presents itself. But that's not biblical. Truth is truth. It has nothing to do with the time frame. If truth becomes applicable to your convenience and circumstance, it's not real truth. It presents itself as truth, but it can't be truth. It can't be God's truth. Because that supersedes time, because God is outside of time and place. And he's omnipresent. It has nothing to do with the place you're in. God's truth is applicable to all times, to all places, to all circumstances. It has nothing to do. Many a times when the, the truth of God hits me, it's not convenient at all, in fact. <laughs> I can give you many examples of that it caused great inconvenience in my life, obeying the Holy Spirit. I think, now that I think about it, many more times than that it really, truly blessed me in the moment. <laughs> Only years later when you look back, it's like, oh, it was a good thing to come to South Africa. But when he called us here, it was very inconvenient for me. Anyway, 
St. Augustine in 400 after Christ already wrote this about truth. Why then does truth generate hatred? And why does thy servant who preaches the truth come to be an enemy to them who also love the happy life, which is nothing else than joy in the truth, unless it be that truth is loved in such a way that those who love something else besides her wish, that, wish to be the truth which they do love. That's a deep sentence for a Sunday night. Since they are unwilling to be deceived, they are unwilling to be convinced that they have been deceived. Therefore, they hate the truth for the sake of whatever it is that they love in place of the truth. They love truth when she shines on them and hate her when she rebukes them. You can't play games with God's truth because they are true. <laughs> so... Christianity, his last remark is, Christianity, he says, just seems to me like just another religion at this point. I could go on, but I won't. Love and forgive, absolutely. Be kind, absolutely. Be generous and do good to others, absolutely. Some things are good no matter what you believe. Let the rain fall and the sun will come up tomorrow. And that's how he ends his Instagram post. Now, let's, you know, let's all have a joint and uh, do some Reiki and have New Age uh, practice sessions. Thank you very much. We need to pray for those who are deceived. For those who are, for whom the truth is too painful to listen to. For whatever reason, we don't know. We don't know the deepest you know, challenges that people have. And we all have them. We all have little, 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 at least some small dark places in our hearts where we secretly maybe wish that God would not in this very moment speak into. Because it's awkward, inconvenient, and it could possibly embarrassing, be embarrassing. I might cry, I might scream, I might become undone. We all have these kinds of places. Um, because if not, our worship will look, would look very differently. If we would be free of these kinds of places, we would be, that, you know, that would be a revival and a half. If we have none of these secret places that we don't really want God to speak into. And if you have a lot of these things, eventually you become deaf. You can't hear God's voice. You can't hear the truth for what it really is. And um, he also explains that his thoughts do not in any way represent his church or any other church beliefs, but instead are his own. And then here's the big kaboom. And here it is. Here's the danger of the 21st century. Right here. There it comes. He says... He has received support and the opportunity to follow his own mind. I'm here to say to you tonight, I will not encourage you and give you any kind of support to follow your own mind. As a leader in this church, in senior leadership, I say, to that. You are not here as a follower of Christ to follow your own mind. You've been given the mind of Christ. And when we get it wrong, I follow my own mind sometimes. And then I repent because it always ends in a mess. I always hurt somebody, either myself or somebody else. But to be a part of a ministry or a church that, say, that endorses fully and supports fully for you to follow your own mind. If you want a church like that, you can, you can, don't, don't, don't come to this church. We don't, we don't encourage that. We don't encourage that kind of theology. Because we don't read it anywhere in the Bible. So how, how do they tap out of the grand race and say, I can't go any further? 
In a typical Christian scheme of things, faith equates to blind acceptance, while doubt is seen as rebellion in many situations. And maybe some of you think like that. Let me tell you, it's not true. Doubt is not rebellion. Doubt is great. Many people doubt in the Bible. And God has used it to get them on their knees more than often and get them to really go on a, almost on a rant of like crying and lamenting like David. Two-thirds of the Psalms are laments for a reason, for that very reason. Because he doesn't know. So you need to have faith. His grace is sufficient. So such faith, the faith that is constructed to just makes you feel that everything is convenient, is more concerned with programs and self-help and maintenance, maintenance things, other than life-changing truth. So I'm, I'm glad to be part of a community that, that preaches and teaches life-changing truth. And it's awkward and it's not always nice to hear, but then we've got something to talk about. Either at my house or at a, at a restaurant or after a service. Or We need to start challenging each other and get our minds activated and not just sit there like sheep who, like Pastor Louis said this morning, who act dumb or do dumb things because God did not design us to be dumb sheep at all. He explained this very well this morning. If you want to hear about that, just watch the YouTube uh, recording of that on the internet. But there is also a reality. The part of the real talk is also for you tonight that maybe you sit here and you think, yeah, but Gerben, you don't understand. My journey has been too long. Um, I am part of a generation that you don't understand, Gerben, because you, you, might, you might be a 19-year-old Christian, but you are of an older generation. And uh, you must understand my generation only talks in 140 characters. And our concentration span is a little bit shorter, maybe, than yours. And my journey is too long. God has promised me stuff like yesterday, and it still hasn't happened. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. You know, that's what preachers do. Or he spoke to me, or I got a prophecy five years ago, and I really believed it was God's voice in my life. And I ain't seen nothing yet. Like, what's, you know, tell me what's, what's up with that. What kind of a God do we serve? Well, we serve an eternal God, and he's not in a hurry. Let me tell you that. He's a little bit older than you are, on me. He's been around for a while. But there is a reality of uh, losing patience and endurance and perseverance on the roads. And that's real. I've been, I've been there a few times. And I mean, and Peter has been there. You know, Peter said, I will never betray you, Lord. And then, of course, he did. Um, and I imagine the Lord uh, looking lovingly at him. And then probably saying like, well, I appreciate the heart, Pete, but, you know, um, let me tell you, um, not too long from now, you will um, actually betray me. Uh, but, but for Peter, that, long was too, was, that road was too long. Um, and it's the same Peter that totally got us later in the upper room and after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So there is, there is uh, hope. You must just confess and admit that you can't do it without, without him. And you can't do it without community. You can't do it on your own. Because it was only after Peter found himself denying his leader three times that he, became, he came to the much-needed end of self. So some of you must just, realize, must just realize maybe tonight, you've come to the end of self. That's a great place. That's wonderful. That's why we have these stories. And no matter how strong our faith is, strength will fail. Look at Moses. He killed a man thinking that this was his rise to God's promised leadership. And ended up having to flee from his people. 
became impatient. Elijah prayed that he might die because he was filled with fear of the, at, the, at the threats of the evil queen. David cried out to God in lengthy poetry about the dark night of the soul. It was too long. Lord, you don't understand. It, it's taking too long. All these mighty men of God and, and women in the Bible, they've all gone through that. So you're not alone. Don't let the devil tell you today, this is, you have a problem. You're a bad Christian, uh, like he told that specific worship leader. Apparently, the devil got in there and convinced him, see, what are you doing? Get out of the ministry. But there are all these stories in the Bible that gives you hope. It gives you the examples of what to do when these things happen and what God does. This is a comfort for God's people already in, back in the Old Testament in Isaiah 40, verse 30, 31. Even youth grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Or 2 Corinthians 12. Your grace is sufficient for me and your power made perfect in my weakness. So if you feel like that today... Recite and quote these scriptures and do positive confessions and know that this is the truth of God. That's the voice of God speaking to you tonight through my Dutch accent and vocal cords. But it is the voice of God because it's in his words. That's his promise. That's the security we have in him. And don't let anyone or any other spirit tell you otherwise and make you to backslide and post really strange things on the, on the internet at times. Secondly, the journey might not be long for you, but you will sit here and you say, you don't understand, Gerben, the, the journey is fierce. There's too much resistance. Where I work in my workplace, I've experienced too much. There's too, it's too intense. The battle, the battle, you know, let me remind you, the Christian journey is the battle for your life. It's a battle of life and death. So, of course, it's fierce. And that's why the Bible is also full of examples of people who had to choose like, you choose the kingdom of light. Therefore, the kingdom of darkness is not happy with you. You can't blame the devil for what he's trying to do. It, it's logic. <laughs> if I were the devil, I would do exactly the same stuff. That's a strange statement to make. <laughs> but I would. Intellectually. It's like, it makes sense. So therefore, it's like, duh. The devil is also a little bit blunt in that sense. In, in the sense of that... You know, it's just re repetitive, similar strategies. And he expects a different outcome. But it's always the same attacks. It's repetitive, and it's, you can see it coming a mile away, or in South Africa, a kilometer. So even Peter, after he woke up to the revelation of after his betrayal to Jesus, when you read the book of Peter, 1 Peter 5, 8, after his own trial of faith, writes in his very first letter to the early church, be sober-minded, be watchful. Why can he write that? Because he wasn't before. He's learned. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He says, be watchful and be sober of mind. Have control, self-control through the Spirit. The devil is out to steal your destiny and kill your zeal for the gospel and destroy your testimony. That's John 10.10. 10. And among other things that will cripple you and attempt to disqualify you from the race, he knows your kryptonite. That's not in the Bible. That's just me. Just saying. In other words, your Achilles heel if you're more into Greek history. Um, and that's why Ephesians 6 tells you you need to put on the full armor of God. 
you need to be protected because it's going to be fierce. So don't start complaining or backsliding. Oh, the journey is fierce. And the Bible knows that God knows. That's why we have Scripture to tell you in advance. From day one as a Christian, they've told me I'm very blessed with amazing spiritual fathers and mothers in my, in my life from day one. And if you don't have those, come and seek some of those out, the people that know because they have suffered and they want the next generation to suffer less. We all have our unique sufferings and every generation has also unique ways of encountering trials and tribulations. But there are some mistakes you don't have to make. You don't have to end up on Instagram like that. You really don't have to. But it just, it's, it just shows a lack of community. Obviously, nobody has talked to this, this man or woman. So let us talk to one another and say, hey, do you know Ephesians 6? Do you know what that actually means to put on the full armor of God? Because then the journey can be fierce. It's okay to be fierce if I have the full armor of God. And when I come to the church, I wear the cloak of humility. It's a white cloak. I don't wear the full armor when I encounter the brothers and sisters on a Sunday. But out there in the workplace where I work, I have the full armor of God. I'm not going to leave the belt of truth at home when I go to my workplace. And then come home complaining, oh, the, the, the journey is too fierce. I'm going to post some stuff on social media. Of course it's fierce. We're following Jesus, counterculture Jesus. But Jesus Christ who brought for us the power to endure and overcome. That's Hebrews 12 too. I can give you, there's hundreds of scriptures. In the journey upward, out of the mire of sin and the depravity of human condition, the battle to pull us back, slow us down, or outright distract us from our goal is going to be fierce. We are sheep among wolves, Matthew 10, 16. That's a, that's a fact. And so let's not also, when people fall into these traps, whoever posts what and when, because we all of us go through ups and downs, but let's not shoot the wounded sheep amongst us. Let's pray for one another and carry each other on, you know, wherever we can. And thirdly and lastly, the journey is scary. And also God knew. That's why there are stories in the Bible. Um, like I said, with uh, Isaiah, he was threatened. Uh, Elijah, sorry, he was threatened by Queen Jezebel. And that same Elijah, one chapter before that threat, who called down fire from heaven and 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 in the midst of, you know, also adversary and great threat with the Baal priests, they were also ready to do stuff to him, I'm pretty sure. And he had so much faith. The man of faith and the prophets asked for fire and, the, you know, the Baal priests were, were, were amazed. And that was that. And only one chapter later, he feels a threat by Queen Jezebel and he goes to God and says, please kill me. I don't want to be in the ministry anymore. And that was his Instagram post. And this is a great prophet in the Old Testament. So, you know, let us not judge others. Let us just learn from the Word of God. And that's why, that's why faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And that's the same man who called down fire from heaven one chapter ago before that. So we, we are just like that. So the one day we're full of faith. The next day we, we, we like Peter and betray the Lord. No, we don't know him. No, I don't know Jesus. I'm not one of those crazy charismatics. Um, and the next day, we, we go nuts in a conference again or whatever. You know, we, but the Bible is full of mighty men and women of God. And we are in that kind of company. And that's why we, when we study the Word, we know what to do. God gives all of the clues and the truths in His Word. So if this journey is too much for you, if you're sitting here tonight and it's too much for you because it's, maybe it's not long, maybe it's not fierce, but it's just um, 
complicated and scary, then you need to take on the posture of a child again. You need to know what it is to just be with God and not have, you know, not have to produce anything. You need to go into a, a, a place of intimacy, of worship with Jesus. Um, because that is, from that safety, you can go into the world again. And that's, those are the examples in the Bible as well. Jesus says in Matthew 11, if you're worn out on religion, and that's the message, but in other translations of the Bible, it says, uh, if, you, if you are weary, come to me and I will give you rest. And the message says that I will give you the unforced rhythms of grace. In other words, I will remind you of that grace by which you are saved, which is unforced. And so there are all these amazing scriptures that we can remind one another of in community. But if you don't have a life group or you're not part of a worship family or worshiping family or, you, or you're on your own in the workplace, then these things are very difficult. Isolation is one of the biggest tactics of the devil ever in history. So I want to end just by praying for all these different people groups. I'm, I was so happy to hear the first song of this, of this evening was You Never Let Go, and I quickly wrote down the text. I can see a light that is coming for the heart that holds on. So I want to implore you to hold on. It's not easy to be a Christian. Uh, other options and other belief systems are much easier. I can see a light that is coming for my heart because my heart holds on, and there will be an end to my troubles or to your troubles. But not until that day comes, I will still praise you. And that speaks of faith. Those two sentences speak of supernatural faith. To believe that in spite of what you're going through, there will be an end because you can see the light. And the light is Jesus Christ. He's the revelation that came down. As long as you can see Jesus, as long as you have intimate relationship with Jesus... You can tap into all these truths. It will, be all, it will be unpacked for you. So I want to pray for those. If you want to stand, you're welcome. And just have the courage and the boldness to, to be honest today. And just stand up if I call you out for those who feel like this journey has been long. I've, there's been promises. And I don't have the patience. I, I need prayer for patience, endurance, even the courage to confess, vulnerability, um, and the you know, just the admission that you can't do it without him. And um, there's no shame in that. In, in making yourself vulnerable and allowing the Lord right now to empower you with truth, with revelation, so that you can hear his voice again. Because if you're in that place of you feel it's too long and you can't, you can't make it, it, it's a blocker. It's, it's, it, blocks, it blocks the frequency of heaven. So, Father, for all those that are growing tired. Jesus, would you remind them that you have this invitation to come to you and you will give them rest. You will teach them the unforced rhythms. And like Isaiah says, that they will hope in the Lord and will renew their strength. And that they will know that the grace is sufficient for them. In Jesus' name I pray. And that your power is made perfect in their weaknesses. Because in the journey gets too long, hope dwindles and you, you stop believing that God can be strong where you are weak because you haven't seen it. And so, Father, I want to pray, Father God, you would be very close to them and empower my brothers and sisters with patience and long-suffering 
being able to persevere and push through and give them a community around them in whatever shape or form, whether it's two, three, or 20, or two, 200 people, Lord, that can carry those people because of the length of the journey and, and, and the hope for promises unfulfilled so that they will have faith to believe that there's enough evidence that we can weigh in the Word of God, the voice of God that will speak into into the length of the journey and the hope that they might still receive. For those of you who think the journey is too fierce, I want to pray in Jesus' name that they would put on the armor of God daily so they can press on despite the punches and fiery arrows and not die by them. I pray that they will, in this season of their lives, in an extraordinary way, fix their eyes on the chief commander, which is Jesus Christ, and the chief shepherd in this spiritual warfare, who bought for us the power to endure and to overcome on that cross. It was bought for us and made available freely. So I pray supernaturally right now, with the breath of my voice, right now they would be empowered with that kind of armor, and realization and revelation of what it means to have the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of, breastplate of righteousness, and the right kind of shoes and the right kind of belt. And for those of you that feel that the journey is too scary, you lack courage, I pray that God will be near you in His sustaining grace, that there will be a level of intimacy that is so incredible that all the terror of uncertainty of life will will disappear in this season. I pray that you would hear the invitation to posture yourself as a child and not be afraid to ask why, like young children do. Because the Father loves that. Because you can expect the best of a good Father. I pray that you would not be afraid to curl up and hide from the world for a while. Just stop engaging with the world and start engaging with the heavenly realm. Pray that in Jesus' wonderful name. And for all of us I pray that we would call ourselves fellow doubters in a sense. And that we would have the boldness and the levels of vulnerability to confess that we might not feel full of faith. But that we also know that the mustard seeds are planted. And that they are growing. And that we will, we will all boldly and humbly and earnestly sift through the mess. Because we know when we do that, we will find him right there. That we will not be blind, not be ignorant, not wish things away. But that we recognize that God wants to meet us as we are sifting through the mess on earth. And we thank you, Father, that when we do that, we give an example to the believers around us, but also to the unbelievers, that in spite, of, in spite of the storms, we know that you will never let go. Whatever storm comes, we are like that palm tree that David writes about in Psalm 1. The storm may come and we, we might bend, but we'll come back. Or we will look like the azalea, to, to end with that, that can even grow and, and portray God's beauty on very acidic soil. And eventually, the, the composition of that soil 
will change. And very quickly, anything can grow there where we plant our feet. Blessed are the feet who bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I bless your feet. Your coming and your going. That you would recognize and experience his nearness, his presence, and his unconditional love in all of your journeys. However you perceive them. Long, fierce, scary. Most important is we are with him. And that's why Moses said, if, you, if your presence doesn't go with me, I will not go anywhere. I can't. It would be foolish. So let us be like that. And then we know as a community we can, we can overcome because we are overcomers. We are more than overcomers and we are victorious in Christ Jesus. Amen. Enjoy your week. Come to me if you want to know more about the Modular Worship Academy and if you want to sign up for anything there at the host table from the choir to a whole bunch of other things. Get involved so we can strengthen each other so that our journeys become testimonies.